The Astrea Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book Three, The Wanderer's Curse. Chapter Two, in which Astrea arrives in Matris. When Astrea first shaped a course for Matris, Seafoam was close-hauled, but as the day continued he gradually altered the heading to keep a comfortable distance from the shore, progressively slackening the sheets until they were sailing in a reach, then a broad reach, and finally with the wind astern. The wind strengthened toward midday, and then moderated during the afternoon, but it was still enough to keep Seafoam moving at a speed far greater than the Molly's bluff bows and coarse sails could have achieved. The day passed slowly. One by one all five were lulled by the steady sway of the boat, the lights on the water and the myriad sounds of sailing. All were tired from their exertions during the night, perhaps most of all Astrea, who had gone through and out the other side of tiredness, and now could not sleep. Arneb, on the other hand, slid into a sitting position on the cockpit sole in the sun, rested his head against the boat's side, and closed his eyes. When Lindy bent over him anxiously, he opened his good eye, looked up at her, and winked. "'Taken a little rest in the fresh air. Don't tell me to go below.' Lindy looked into his eyes, felt his pulse, and went back to looking ahead and shoreward, her eyes open, but seeing little. She nodded approval when Arneb eventually went below to lie down, and then suggested to Damon that he should do the same. However, it was only after both Estrella and Cam had reassured him that he was not needed that Damon went down to the cabin. Cam lay on his back on the cabin top, letting the sails shade his face from the afternoon sun. From time to time he made minor adjustments to the jib, more to show that he was awake than because of any need. As the afternoon sun slanted across the foredeck, Damon came back on deck, easing his shirt-sleeves away from his forearms. "'Thanks for the rest. I needed that.' "'How are you?' Astrea asked. "'All right, considering I can feel Lindy's stitches when I move them around, like when I'm hauling on ropes. I shouldn't have asked you to do so much.' Damon shrugged. Then he felt the overwhelming need to talk. "'Back there on the ship, Astrea, that Mufrid was so fast. Fast as you. Maybe faster. He was playing with me.' He opened the skin, but he could have cut me so I'd have bled to death, or maybe never used my hands again. Why was that? He was slitting your shirt to see what was under it. He was looking for... for someone with a clasp. They both glanced at Lindy, who was staring landward, apparently unaware of their exchange. They imagined Mufrid attacking Lindy, as could so easily have happened. Astrea silently felt the shipstone in its egg-like metal case against his ribs, and regretted the angry moment in which he had stolen it. He hoped that Dabby would not notice, or even conceal that it was gone, because if Adramin knew he would certainly pursue them, and even though the shipstone was shielded, if Dabby had echo-stones for Lindy's and Astrea's clasps, Cygnus would be able to follow them. Astrea looked over his shoulder, half expecting to see the ship's tall sails. Astrea, when we led the longboat from Elusive to Cygnus, why didn't you go back and talk to your family? You could have bargained with them. You could have... You could have a ship and a crew, because you've got the, the big weird stone. The last thing they did was to try and drown me, 
I wasn't about to give them another chance. Estrella carefully offered a plausible explanation rather than the complicated and distressing reasons that plagued him. He did not want to have anything more to do with Oron's family, particularly since Lindy was in danger as long as she wore the stone Gar had given her. Perhaps if Adramin and Dabby failed to notice for a few more hours, he would be able to take her to her home and leave her there, counting on his clasp and shipstone to decoy Cygnus away from her. But how? Seafoam was not his boat, and even if he stole her, which was a repugnant thought, where would he go? A similar problem faced him if he struck out by land. Possibilities prowled around the inside of his head, keeping him awake and worrying while the others gratefully let themselves relax. Later in the day, when the sail shaded his eyes from a sun grown increasingly hazy as it sank into thin, high clouds, they sailed towards two oddly shaped hills that fell steeply to the sea with a narrow passage between them. The cliffs were highest where they loomed over the gap, and they were sloped apart in a series of secondary crests. "'We're going through that—' "'That notch between the mountains?' Damon asked somewhat nervously. "'The two feet,' said Lindy. "'That's what we call them.' "'Looks like it,' said Arnib calmly, as he climbed into the cockpit and surveyed the headlands. "'And Lindy knows where all the rocks are between them, said Cam cheerfully. "'No, Cam,' said Lindy with a smile, "'but I know where they aren't.' Arnib chuckled. "'I've heard that one before.' but I still like it. Worry had overwhelmed Astrea's sense of humour, but his mood improved as he steered for the gap, confident that it would be an easy passage with the wind behind them. He had seen the village skippers pass between narrower headlands in far more wind and waves than were around the sea-foam, and Lindy seemed confident in her directions. In addition, their stones would be relatively safe from detection once they were behind the cliffs. The sea, which had been running in long, low waves, grew calmer as they ran downwind. Soon they could see that the cliffs were not the solid wall they'd seen from a distance, but were scarred with vertical clefts and gullies. "'Remind you of that little cove back home, Strayer?' Cam asked. They were passing a fissure like the one they had climbed above the black sand beach, where he had fought with Yan. Astrea grimaced at the vivid memory of the fight and their subsequent escape from the encroaching tide. "'There's a story behind that shared memory,' said Arneb quietly. Astrea said nothing, but Cam shook his hair out of his eyes and grinned. "'Yeah, should have seen it. Two of Yan's mates holding Astrea against the cliff, and Yan all set to bust his head open with a rock bigger in his fist. And just as we all thought it was done, except for the bloody part, Straya moves faster than a greased eel, and Yan smashes his hand into the cliff. Then, while Yan was standing there, all over stupid, looking at his broke-up fingernails, Straya, cool as you please, says, "'Take a look behind you,' and we all sees the tides cut us off. "'It looks like we're done, coming and going. We know there's a devil of a rip along the shore, so we know we can't wade back, much less swim.' "'Can't go up the cliffs, can't go back where we'd come.' He paused to make sure that Arneb, Damon, and Lindy were listening attentively. Astrea assessed Cam's account, which was so different from his own memory of how Yan had become his enemy. "'So, 
We're all looking up at the cliff and thinking there's no way he can climb it because it's all slimy and green for higher up than any of us can reach. Just when we're all deciding that we ain't going home, not that night, nor never, Strayer says, take off your belts. We're that surprised we done like he said. So then he gets us to make up a ladder out of ourselves, and when I'm standing on the shoulders of two of the tallest, he climbs up over us until he's to where the rock's good for climbing. And then we see what he's going to do with the belts, cause he's got them buckled up together like a rope. And then he uses them to haul us up, one by one, to where we can climb the rest of the way. Even Yan, the one what was trying to kill him, Cam scanned their attentive faces quickly and spoke directly to Estrella over their heads. Might have been better if you'd left him down there to swim for it, Estrella. Save us all a heap of trouble and your ma would still be with us. Arneb, Damon and Lindy all looked at Estrella, who turned his head away at the mention of Alana. Estrella conceded that Cam had the facts right, if somewhat embellished, but for him... The consequences of the fight on the beach led directly to Alana's death, for which he felt guilty. "'What was the fight about, Estrella?' Damon asked. At first Estrella could not answer for the sudden memory of his mother's face. Blinking his eyes dry of sudden tears, he concentrated on sailing seafoam on course, and thought of how much his life was driven by a tangle of connections across time and space, all leading to where he stood— wondering what would happen next. The image of Alana slowly faded from his mind, replaced by memories of that day on the beach. He frowned, and speaking slowly he answered with the most obvious cause. Yan said I'd stolen something from Tina, his girl. All I did was draw her picture. Was that all, Strayer? Damon asked. Well, I did needle him a bit. "'No more than he deserved, the bottom-feeding sculpin,' said Cam. Estrella noticed that Lindy was looking at him thoughtfully. He spoke to deflect attention away from himself to the immediate task. "'Which way now?' "'Around to the left,' she replied, as they sailed between the headlands. "'Head for the lumpy bit ahead. It's an island, even if it doesn't look like it from here. Leave it to the left. Um, port.' and then go on up where the river empties out. She spoke quietly, barely audible over the gentle noises made by sea foam in the calm water. Estrella glanced over his shoulder to see that they were now encircled by hills that ran steeply into the sea everywhere but ahead, where the land rose more gently. He dimly noticed that she was alternating between enthusiasm and apprehension as they approached Mattress. Over there is a good beach for clams. That's where we set our night lines. Just over the top of that little hill is where we go for firewood. When Mother was alive, she'd take us over to the island for a treat, and... and we'd... Her voice tapered off. Estrella could not see her face as he steered up the long, narrow bay in the falling light. He felt sure that she had stopped talking because she did not want to share her memories with him. Estrella looked away as he had learned to do from the people with whom he had grown up. In the village, emotions were private, save for when the whole community came together to celebrate, or com the convention gave him a way to hide his conviction that she had shut him out. Arneb's eyes flickered from Lindy to Estrella, as one after the other they cast long, sidelong glances at each other, 
glances that neither saw. They sailed on in silence, looking at the wooded shores on either side. Seafoam slowed as she met the current from a river that stained the water black. The northwestern shore was now dark, from the waterline to the tree-fringed crest of a long line of hills that ran southward until they were split by the gap through which they had sailed. Above, the sky shaded from pink around the setting sun to deepest blue-black in the east. A soft flap from the jib told them that the wind was failing with the light. "'Hug the left side of the channel,' said Lindy. "'There's an eddy there that'll carry us up to the landing.' Estrella followed her instructions until they were within a stone's throw of a shore studded with head-sized boulders. Seafoam barely responded to the helm as they slid noiselessly upriver, her sails catching the last puffs of the evening breeze. Estrella looked to starboard, where a grass-green bank rose above the boulders and crested higher than the masthead. He realized that without Lindy's confident directions he would have concluded that this bay was as uninhabited as those he had visited in the Molly. The thought gave him comfort, allowing him to slip back into the habit formed from his many sketches of the voyage south. Estrella looked for distinguishing features in the landscape, but saw only a high bank, flat at the top, save for several regular shallow depressions. He began to count them, estimating that they were regularly spaced about a dozen paces apart. When he reached eight, he knew what was bothering him. That bank, it's not natural. But it's too big to have been made, unless it took years and years. You're right, said Lindy. It's man-made. It's the rampart around home. And you're probably right about how long it took to build. But nobody knows, because it was all here from before. Estrella heard a special meaning in her emphasis on the words home and before, but had to concentrate on steering as the eddy turned to a sarboard. The bank above them, now in the shadow of the distant hills, curved back on itself. Estrella saw a pebbled beach perhaps a dozen paces long on their starboard side, and ahead of them a massive pile of broken rock barring their way. There was just enough light for him to see the water curling through the huge stones, that were the cause of the eddy that had brought them thus far. "'There's a slow whirlpool,' said Lindy. "'Go almost to the pile of rocks, let the current turn us to the right, and we should end up pointing between those two logs. Cam, let the jib luff, find the mooring line, and get ready to jump.' Cam balanced on the bowsprit, one hand on the forestay, the other holding the bow-rope. Estrella followed Lindy's instructions, wondering why he was not more nervous about this tricky approach in the falling light. As promised, he saw two tree-trunks a couple of paces apart, making the same kind of slipway that the village used to haul its boats out for the winter. He could dimly make out the spokes of a windlass just beyond the ends of the logs. He headed sea-foam to put her keel between the two white logs, and a few heartbeats later they felt the boat slide up the peeled wood, her bow rising out of the water. Cam's feet crunched onto the small stones between the logs, and pebbles clattered as he made his way towards the windlass. "'We'll slide back,' muttered Arneb, as Seafoam's hull creaked against the logs. Cam's voice came from the gloom ahead of the boat. "'We're secured to the end of a line on the windlass, and now I need some help to wind her up. "'That's you, Damon. Wear your boots, and bring mine.' 
Your hands, Lindy began. Gloves in the starboard locker, said Arnab. Thanks, said Damon, as he appeared up the companionway. Two pairs of boots in his gloved hands, he jumped down onto the shore. Estrella let go of the main halyards, and the mast hoops rattled as the sail descended in a rush. They were enveloped in canvas for a few moments while he bundled the sail along the broom. Arneb would have helped them had not Lindy firmly shaken her head at him as she climbed forward to strike the jib. Ruefully he kept his long legs out of their way and passed ties to Estrella. As they secured the sails, they heard a clicking sound from wooden poles of the windlass. Seafoam rocked gently and then slid forward with a jerk, stuck and slid again. "'Should do her for the night, Strayer,' Cam called from the shore. "'She's more than halfway out of the water, and the tide's turned. "'All of you stay exactly where you are.' "'The voice came from above them in the falling darkness. "'It was a woman's voice, but nonetheless commanding, "'the voice of someone used to having her own way. "'Grandmother!' "'Lindy?' A halo loomed over the crest of the bank, lighting the lower half of a long white dress and the blue shawled arm that held the lantern. I'm 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 home, said Lindy, her voice unusually hesitant. More lights appeared against the skyline. One by one they followed the tall woman in white as she walked down a steep path towards them. Estrella saw female figures, all in white dresses, that fell from neck to ankle. The moving, swinging lights dappled the figures of those carrying them, one moment illuminating swaying white material, the next shining on the long stems of tall grass gone to seed. In a strangely abstracted frame of mind after the day's sailing, he counted more than a dozen women. "'How is it that you have so many people with you?' "'Sanctuary, Grandmother. Four men, two of them wounded.' All exiles, all betrayed by false friends turned traitor. All have lost kin. They seek sanctuary under mattress custom. Astrea guessed that Lindy was deliberately choosing words which would be significant to her grandmother. She climbed down from Seafoam's bow, paused to pull on her boots, walked across the clinking pebbles and up a steep ramp toward the woman, who raised her lantern to light Lindy's face, and as a result, her own as well. Astrea immediately focused on the woman's deep-set eyes, which glinted beneath arched eyebrows. Her white hair was twisted up onto the top of her head, and wisps had fallen towards her eyes, where they cast shadows across her brow. She was tall, lean, and she stood straight-backed, unyielding, with something in her manner that reminded Estrella of the level look he had seen on first meeting Lindy at the ford. Where Lindy's face curved softly, her grandmother's face had aged like the blade of a well-honed knife, the cheeks slightly hollowed, the lips thinned, the nose sharpened, but not disfigured by the passage of time. Estrella stared so fixedly that he was surprised when another voice came from further up the path. "'You always have to do more than anyone else, don't you, Lindy? Most girls have all they can do to find one man, and some come home alone. You return, barely decently clad, bringing four. A compact woman with neck-length brown hair walked swiftly around Lindy's grandmother and came to a self-important stop, 
holding her lantern ahead of her. Astrea noticed that she moved with a busy assurance just short of arrogance. When she stood still, lit by the lanterns of the women and the girls behind her, he guessed that she was older than Lindy by a decade or more. "'There are reasons, Janice,' said Lindy evenly. "'I'm sure there are, Lindy. You always have reasons. The trouble is that they're all about you, not the good of Matris. Sarah, with respect, these men must all be sent on their way.' Estrella heard no respect in the woman's voice, but whoever she was, it struck him that she offered him his chance to leave Lindy where she would be safe. However, even as he saw the opportunity, he desperately wanted to stay. He bent over to pick up his boots, wondering whether to put them on or to keep his bare feet aboard Seafoam, cut the bow rope, and sail away. When he straightened up, boots in hand, Sarah was speaking. "'If they seek sanctuary,' and Lindy vouches for them, I don't see how in good conscience we can forbid them from coming ashore. When they are healed, and if they accept our customs, they might prove to be useful. Let's take a look at them. She spoke mildly, her words leaving room for a variety of interpretations. Arneb climbed unsteadily over the side of Seafoam and almost fell headlong. Cam and Damon moved to help him, but he found his balance and waved them off. They stood together below the boat, their heads at gunwale height. Astrea slid his feet into his boots and jumped down beside them. The four stepped forward slowly to stand behind Lindy, who faced Sarah and the woman called Janice. Behind them stood a dozen or so people who, Astrea now saw, were mostly girls. He had the impression that many were young from the supple way they moved, and also because they were constantly exchanging whispers. The cluster was still being joined by older women who were making their careful way down the steep path. Swaying lanterns patched the sloping path with light and shadow, making it difficult to see in more than glimpses. But Astrea noticed that the faces of those nearest him were pale, as was their hair. Despite the variety in their heights and figures, they all wore similar high-necked, shin- or ankle-length dresses, far longer and looser than everyday work clothes. He suddenly realized that under the shawls or blankets they had thrown over their shoulders, they were all wearing nightgowns. Sarah took a step forward as Arneb shuffled towards her, one hand on Damon's shoulder and Cam at his elbow. She lifted her lantern to look into their faces. "'Creditable work on this man's face. Your stitching, Lindy?' "'Yes, Grandmother.' "'How can she vouch for them?' She raised her voice to be heard by everyone, and her tone became self-consciously dramatic. "'How can we believe that her word is enough?' "'He's not going to fall over before we can get him up the hill, is he?' Sarah asked Lindy, as if she had not heard Janice. "'He's lost a lot of blood, Grandmother.' "'I can walk, provided it's not too far, and I can sit down when we get there,' said Arneb. Is the one with the moustache hearst as well? Both arms with superficial cuts from wrist to elbow. He's wearing the lower third of my skirt as bandages. I wondered how that had happened, said Sarah mildly, and then louder so that the women behind her could hear. We'll take them up to the home. I'll ring the bell, said Janice. I don't think that's necessary, Janice, said Sarah. It's late. 
and most of the elders were on their way to bed. But everyone must be involved in the decision-making if men are to be admitted. Consider the danger— Consider the danger that these two will fall over, and we'll have to carry them. Be calm, Janice. Nothing needs to be decided to-night. This is outrageous. The rules are clear. They demand that we all participate in any discussion about admitting any man. So ring the bell, if you think everyone should be woken up and asked to decide these men's fate while they're all half asleep. I, for one, would like to know a great deal more before doing anything drastic in any direction. Lindy, will you show our guests to the home? Janice looked this way and that, cleared her throat self-importantly, turned and pushed her way back up the hill through the women, her skirt twitching back and forth. Yes, grandmother, said Lindy obediently, as if she had heard nothing but Sarah's request. Lanterns bobbed and light chased shadow as the women started up the path, leaving a respectful distance around Sarah, who walked with carefully measured steps, her head poised above her straight back. It doesn't seem to be all sweetness and light here in Maltres, Damon whispered as they started up the path. Now, what was all that about? No idea, said Arneb. The fussy one thinks she's real important, don't she? said Cam. But it's the old one who's the real brains of the bunch. Before Lindy turned to go up the path, Estrella saw her teeth flash in a swift grin. They followed the women's swaying lights, Cam and Damon on either side of Arneb, who steadied himself with one hand on Damon's shoulder. Astrea hesitated. He felt that he should have been the one to help, rather than Damon, with his injured arms, but now it was done he found himself walking beside Lindy, ahead of the three of them. She was so close to him that for a moment he almost took her hand, but stopped himself in time. Astrea, um... "'Everybody,' Lindy said quietly, I, "'I should have explained more, but I hardly knew where to begin.' "'We'll all pick it up as we go along,' said Arneb. "'That's for sure,' said Cam, as they climbed the steep path. "'But there's one thing I'd like to know first. Are there any other men here?' "'My uncle's here,' said Lindy. "'Remember?' "'Locked up?' No, Cam, he's about four paces to your left, beside that pile of rocks, aren't you? Too right, Lindy, came a voice out of the darkness, securing the defences. Now you hold still a minute till I give you a hug. Estrella stood back as a lantern first showed a pair of brown breeks, then swung up to be a pool of light that shone warm gold on Lindy's hair and lit her smile as she stepped towards her uncle. Something happened to Estrella's breathing. His chest was tight, and drawing in air was painful. He wanted so badly to be the focus of the look he'd seen on Lindy's face that he could have thrust the older man back down the bank. The impulse faded as quickly as it had struck him, replaced by the desire to go on walking off into the night and never speak to anyone about her again. Instead, he stopped as if struck in the chest, and Damon ran into him from behind. "'Sorry, Estrella, you all right?' Estrella nodded in the darkness, and then muttered an affirmative grunt. He stood staring, amazed at the sudden surge of irrational emotion. "'Justin,' she said, "'these are my friends. Arneb, Cam, Damon, 
and Estrella. Justin held up his lantern in his left hand and extended his right to shake first Arneb's extended hand, then Damon's, then Cam's, and finally Estrella's, who was standing as if his feet had taken root. He looked into brown eyes so shadowed by the flickering light and light that he could not read them, but he saw something tentative or even humble in the angle of the man's head. Estrella wanted to see more, but the handshake was over, the lantern light shifted, and he was looking at the back of Lindy's bare legs as she walked beside her uncle, and they all made their way slowly up the steep path. "'The uh, defences you were securing,' said Arneb between shallow breaths, "'a rock-slide?' "'Right. Had you been hostile, you'd have been crushed, or knocked into the water. That is, if Sarah's girls hadn't crowded into the fall-line.' "'So we were safe the whole time,' said Damon. "'Just so,' said Justin. "'A masterly plan thwarted by misplaced curiosity,' said Lindy. "'Again, just so. "'Never give up, Uncle. "'Never give up, Lindy.' "'Estrella heard affection behind their exchange, "'and saw it again when Justin's fingers softly touched her hair. "'Another stab of envy made him stumble "'at the top of the bank they had been climbing, "'where the path turned a sharp right "'and descended in stone steps.' Had he not regained his balance, he would have fallen down a sheer drop about half the height they had climbed. Most of the women were already down on the flat ground at the foot of the steps, and were making their way across a close-cropped field. Their bobbing lanterns wove a broken thread toward half a dozen oblongs of light that came from tall windows in a building more than a stone's throw away. Behind him, Estrella heard Arneb grunt with the effort of descending the steep steps, each one dimpled by long use. He felt two hands close on his shoulders. "'Just keep going slowly, Estrella. There's no room beside me for Cam and Damon, and I don't want to go down head first. He heard Arneb's breath rasp in his throat, and felt the tall man's weight shift from shoulder to shoulder with each step they took downwards. Their progress was slow enough for Estrella to see the North Star above tall chimneys at the end of a long roof. The further they descended the steps, the more the building loomed ahead against a sky patterned with stars, and the more he became aware of how high its roof stood above its lighted windows. Justin and Lindy paused at the bottom of the stair to wait for them to catch up. "'Not far now, Arneb. Just over forty paces, and you'll be inside.' "'Suits me.' said Arneb. He patted Estrella's shoulder with one hand and spoke in his ear. This is working. Mind if we go on this way? We could carry you, said Cam, putting an arm around him. Not a problem, said Damon, doing the same on Arneb's other side. He took a sharp breath as the effort pulled at the cuts on his arm. Steadying will be enough, said Arneb. Let's do it. Like a strange eight-legged creature, the four followed Lindy and Justin towards the building, from which yellow light spilled onto a gravel path. The women ahead of them went through a small door, which was set in a much larger set of double doors. One by one, their lanterns winked out of sight. A few paces closer, and the light of Justin's lantern revealed a massive archway. Estrella looked up, glimpsed an eagle's head carved in stone, 
and almost walked into the edge of the door. Then he was helping Arneb step up into an entrance hall paved with sand-coloured flat stones. Estrella felt the weight on his shoulders increase as Arneb swayed and nearly fell. Once he was inside, Cam and Damon took their places again on either side of him. Whitewashed stone walls spread the light from lanterns in iron sconces. A short woman with a blue scarf over her head held up her lantern to indicate an archway to their left. Arneb grunted approval that it was wide enough for all four of them to go through at the same time. Astrea was first into the great room. On either side of a bare central strip of floor were clusters of candles on head-high stands. Flickering in the draught from the open door, they revealed indistinct shapes of people standing against the windowed wall, their faces lost in moving shadows. Directly ahead he saw a fireplace that glowed with the embers of logs longer than he was tall. Their reddish light outlined Sarah, one hand held high to beckon them closer. Soft whisperings on either side of the room ceased. "'Janice, will you please organise someone to supply our guests with chairs?' "'Chairs, Sarah, chairs are only for elders, such as yourself, and—' "'And in this case for four, no, five, very tired people. "'Get one for Lindy as well. She looks exhausted.' Astrea saw Janice twitch her head in obvious disapproval, but in moments chairs scraped into position behind them. Arneb sighed as he sat down, and Astrea heard himself add a muted echo as he lowered himself gratefully into a wooden chair with wide arms. Now that he was beginning to understand just how weary he had become, Astrea slowly looked around, twisting his neck to look at the people he had passed on his way into the room. There were young women and girls, a few women who were most likely their mothers or aunts, and half a dozen elders seated in front of him, who were of an age to be grandparents or even older. Now that he had time to look carefully, Estrella saw that almost all the young women and girls had blonde hair that hung well past their shoulders. The training he had received from Gar allowed him to look past individual expressions to the shape of the heads below, without even being conscious that he was seeing more than most. Even though age, features, and expressions varied, there was a similarity in these faces. Had I been able to sketch them, Estrella thought, I would start with a long, smooth oval, slightly pointed towards the chin. Then I'd keep the lines smooth for the girls, and sharpen or round them for the elders, particularly cheeks and noses shaped by age. He looked for masculine figures and faces, but saw only three or four males of varying ages, all standing together in a group as if to call attention to how few they were. Estrella looked to his right, where Lindy sat on the other side of Arneb. Then he looked back again at the faces along the walls, and looked at her once more. The familial resemblance was obvious, but while the faces of the other girls and women seemed blurred copies of each other, Lindy's face remained distinctive and individual for him. Quick footfalls at his shoulder made him swing around to find himself looking into a small, heart-shaped face below dark, short-cropped hair. She was so close that he felt her breath, and saw reflected candle flames in her blue-black eyes. Fine lines radiated from their corners, although she moved with the swiftness and grace of a girl. 
A heartbeat later, she had shifted position quick as a cat, and her face was within a handspan of Arneb's. The evaluative way they looked at each other made Estrella guess that they were not too far apart in age, even though she was not much taller than a child. Then her bright blue skirt flared as she turned to confront Lindy. "'What have you done, Lindy?' she whispered quickly, her words barely audible to Estrella. "'Don't you know that these two are men of the sea?' I, I know that, Cat, but then why did you bring them? To keep them alive. There are two ships looking for all five of us. And you brought them here to draw them to our doors? I brought them here to be healed. Healed? This one isn't wounded. Not all hurts can be seen, Cat. You know that. The woman Lindy called Cat paused, turned, and looked again into all four faces, one by one. Her movements were swift. She stopped in front of each of them, poised her head to study and evaluate, and moved on to repeat the process until she returned to Estrella, where she paused. Two with knife cuts. This one is awake, only because he's forgotten how to lower his guard. They all need help, the little one least. I'll care for them. Well, now we know, Sarah observed mildly. Do they know the rules? Janice demanded. "'Not yet,' said Lindy. "'Then that comes first. "'Now you four men must understand that—' "'Piffle, Janice,' said Cat. "'Rules and decisions come later. "'Right now these people need food, drink, medication, baths, rest, and that's that.' "'Sarah, will you not speak against this?' demanded Janice. "'I'm certainly not going to argue with Matris Chief Healer,' said Sarah. "'She raised her voice to reach everyone in the great room.' "'Thank you all for coming. "'We will reconvene when Catriona judges that our guests are well enough. "'Meanwhile, let us all continue our interrupted process of going to bed.' "'Whispered conversations broke out all around the hall "'as the crowd thinned into a line of people heading for the door. "'Let me introduce Catriona,' said Lindy. "'Estrella, Damon, Arneb, Cam. "'I'm Cat.' said the small woman. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to do a little more walking. Or perhaps you'd prefer to be carried? Walking is fine, said Arneb. Uh, no stairs, please. We only have to go to the other end of the home, said Cat, subtly individualizing the last word. And you can take your time. They got to their feet and followed her. As the last of the people leaving the hall stood aside to let them through, Lindy turned back towards Sarah. "'You too, Lindy,' said Cat. "'I need you to tell me what ails them, and what you've done about it. And then you need to see me too.' "'That's sharp,' said Cat. "'She didn't even look around.' "'She's like that,' said Lindy. Estrella concentrated on putting one foot in front of the other. Cat's probing look had somehow made him aware that he had been living beyond his strength for days, indeed, since the events and the city of the sea. Weariness was almost smothering him. Deaths, battles, and betrayals had piled up one after the other over night after sleepless night, and his longed-for meeting with Lindy had only made him feel even more alone. The sleep he had had at Walt's Inn had made it possible for him to go on, but it had only lifted his physical exhaustion temporarily. 
He'd been able to keep going through the previous night and the long day of sailing, because there was always the next thing to do, and he was the only one who could do it. Now that there was nothing claiming his attention, he felt not only a physical exhaustion, but also a crushing load of disillusionment, loss, and despair. He shuffled along like an old man, lagging behind the others. He focused on Lindy's heels, just ahead of him, until they turned left, went through a doorway, and stopped in a large room in which were six beds. The diminutive figure that was Cat lifted her head so that he could see her dark, alert eyes. She pointed to him, and then to where he should sleep, and then swiftly assigned beds to Cam, Damon, and Arneb. "'Sleep now, Estrella,' said Lindy. "'Cat's looking after you.' He sat down heavily on the bed, Cat had indicated, and pulled off his boots. He closed his eyes, and felt nothing save the delicious moment when he lay flat and sank into oblivion. You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit astreatrilogy.com for more about Astrea's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.